Dead Men Tales is brought to you by SupplyHouse.com. Heating season doesn't have to be hectic season. You can get repair and maintenance parts from industry-leading brands delivered quickly to you with SupplyHouse.com. SupplyHouse.com has a large, well-stocked inventory of over 300,000 parts and offers free shipping on orders over $99. Trade pros can join the Trademaster program for free shipping, a dedicated customer service phone line, lower prices, and more. Shop now or learn more at SupplyHouse.com slash Trademaster. That's SupplyHouse.com slash Trademaster. Make this heating season easy with SupplyHouse.com. From HeatingHelp.com, it's Dead Men Tales. I'm Dan Hollihan. What I Learned During the 1930s I was unsure, not even in the minds of my someday-to-be parents, I like to think of them as teenagers as they wondered what was to be. They truly were the greatest generation. There were a lot of writers back then who focused on the art of steam and hot water heating. I imagine most of the hydronic heating work at the time was going into the homes of those who had managed to escape the worst of the Great Depression. I love that time in heating history because it was sort of a pause, and the writers spent time explaining what was going on and why. I thought I'd share some of that with you. You can learn a lot by looking back over your shoulder. I asked one of the 30s dead men how the various systems compared in terms of cost during his time. He told me that hot air heating was the cheapest, which I expected it would be because a furnace will always be cheaper than a boiler. He then said that steam heat costs twice what a hot air system cost and an ordinary hot water system cost one-third more than an ordinary steam system. This was interesting. I figured he was taking into consideration gravity hot water systems, which was still popular because the circulator had just been invented in 1928. Gravity systems used very large pipes on both supply and return. Finally, he told me that vacuum and vapor steam systems cost one-third to one-half more than ordinary steam systems, depending on the vapor or vacuum system chosen. Those systems were really top of the line. They were fast, quiet, and economical. Then I asked how much fuel each system required on average. Coal was king in the 30s, and the dead men said it took 12 tons of coal to heat a typical building with hot air and a cold air supply. It took 9 tons of coal to heat with direct steam radiators and 8 tons of coal to heat with hot water. And then he said that a vapor or vacuum system would need a bit less than 8 tons of coal. So you spent more going in, but much less as the years went by when you chose hydronics. Next, I asked him what the average life of each system was. He said that hot air would last from 10 to 12 years, with approximately 25% of the original cost spent on repairs. Steam and hot water systems would last about 25 years, with an average of 10% of the original cost spent on repairs. Again, it cost more up front, but the long-term savings was significant. I learned from the U.S. Census that prior to World War II, half of the buildings in the U.S. that had central heating had hydronics. Imagine that. These days, it's less than 10%. Why? Because a furnace will always be cheaper than a boiler. I listened to another dead man who told me that the early radiators often wound up on the inside walls rather than the exterior walls because that required less piping. 
but they soon realized that a radiator installed on an outer wall would draw the cold air toward it, warm it, and expand the air and cause it to rise along the cold wall. However, a radiator on an interior wall would draw cold air from across the floor, setting up an uncomfortable draft. So it's better to spend the money on more piping and keep the customers happy, right? Oh, and how about this? A radiator doesn't care whether it's getting steam or hot water. It's looking only at temperature, not latent heat. Steam at 215 degrees Fahrenheit will give out the same amount of heat as water at 215 degrees Fahrenheit. That's important to know. Consider the definition of EDR, equivalent direct radiation. One square foot of EDR will give out 240 BTUs when there is 70 degree air on the outside of the radiator and 215 degrees steam or hot water on the inside of the radiator. Latent heat means nothing when it comes to sizing radiators. Only the temperature of the gas or liquid matters. Another dead man told me that before we had diverter tees, think Bellingosset monoflow tees or Takeo Venturi tees, they had to make sure they kept at least five feet of main between the supply and return to each radiator. This is for one-pipe systems that didn't have circulator. The hotter water would always be at the top of the main with those gravity systems, so they fed each radiator from the top of the horizontal main and returned the water from the radiator into the side of that same main. As you can imagine, this is part of what made diverter tees so popular once they finally showed up. Open gravity systems with expansion tanks in the attic call for relatively large pipes, but if you used a closed compression tank, you were able to save about 25% on pipe valves and fittings because you could run the closed system at a higher pressure than what you could use in an open system, which was typically 180 degrees Fahrenheit maximum. The higher temperature of the closed system also caused the water to circulate more quickly. For a time, there was a patented closed system of hot water that operated the coal-fired damper by using chains based on the pressure within the system. It sensed the pressure of the air trapped inside the steel compression tank. But then temperature-responsive dampers showed up, and that spelled the last of sensing the air pressure within a compression tank. But I thought it was an interesting way to get the job done back when coal was king. And did you know this? The early copper fittings had a groove cut into the inside of the fitting. It was set back a bit from each open end. On the outside of the fitting, there were marked spots to indicate where the fitter was to drill one hole. He chose the one most convenient to the spot for that fitting, based on its location. Then he'd use a blowtorch to heat the fitting. He'd insert a solder wire into the hole, and capillary action will take over from there. The dead man said nothing about flux. I wish I could have given him a heads up. <laughs> Hot water radiator valves at the time had a 1 16th inch hole drilled in the valve seat. This served to protect the radiator from freezing when the radiator was not in use and the valve was closed. The hole allowed enough circulation through the radiator to prevent the water from reaching 32 degrees Fahrenheit. How about that? And guess what they used to remove boiler scale? Kerosene! <laughs> they said it worked much better than prepared compounds and it was cheap. Steam boilers have glass tubes that need to be replaced from time to time. You would use a special glass cutter for this nowadays, but back then the fitters did it a different way. They would wet a three-cornered file, then they'd take the tube in their left hand. This dead man favored righties in his writing. <laughs> you mark with your thumb and forefinger where you need the cut to be. Then you file quickly and lightly several times to mark the cut on the tube. Then with the tube in both hands and each thumb on opposite sides of the mark, 
you carefully bent the tube, it would either break exactly on the mark or send you looking for the first aid kit. <laughs> I also learned that hot water boilers were very similar to steam boilers, the big difference being the hot water boiler didn't have to have the spaces reserved for the steam to break loose from the water. That meant a hot water boiler could have more heating surface than a steam boiler, and the water moved much more slowly through a hot water boiler than it did through a steam boiler. But they paid more for hot water, and that's part of the reason why they did. Another thing that eventually allowed hot water to win out over steam was that you could have radiators at the same level as the boiler when you chose hot water. Not so with steam, where the radiators often found themselves high up on a wall or even on the ceiling. And I suppose many homeowners didn't like the way that looked. So even though hot water heat was the most expensive system at the time, it brought with it enough features to make it win out over steam heat after the Great Depression and World War II ended. But the furnace ultimately won the war, and you know why. Cheap matters, <laughs> especially if the person doing the selling doesn't take the time to learn about the differences between the systems and how to explain those differences in a way that makes the customer see the value of spending a bit more up front. What you spend up front, you save on fuel for as long as you own the system. And that still applies today. Well, I hope you enjoyed that tale. And if you did, please share it with your friends. But I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Without you, I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>